Welcome to Leadership Lessons, Facebook Live, helping pastors lead better. My name is Todd Gray. I'm the Executive Director Treasurer for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Your Kentucky Baptist Convention was created by churches, for churches, to help churches reach Kentucky and the world for Christ. My guest today is Pastor Chad Fugate. Chad is serving at Ormsby Heights Baptist Church. In fact, brand new ministry calling for him. He's been there since March of this year, and that's in Louisville. Uh, Chad has served churches several places in Kentucky. He is also the 2019-2020 president of the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Chad's married to Jennifer. They have two children, Caleb and Aubrey native Kentuckian, uh, big time UK basketball fan. Pastor Chad, thanks for joining. Thank you for your service in Kentucky and welcome to Leadership Lessons. Well, thank you, Dr. Gray. I appreciate the opportunity to come and share with the pastors and leaders in our state. It's an honor and I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to be with you today. We have a lot of things to talk about and I'll get to those. I wanna mention that Leadership Lessons has been a big hit for lots of folks. People uh, reach out to me regularly and say they've listened to all or part of a session or multiple ones. And they've just heard something that was helpful. That's that's always the goal. Uh, pastors need all the help they can get. Uh, pastoring a church is hard work. It's not hard work like digging ditches or cutting tobacco, but there's a spiritual warfare element to it that's not found in those other tasks. And any way we can help each other, we ought to. Uh, there will be a website eventually that will host all of or platform all of these these episodes along with a highlight podcast and additional resources. Well, Chad, let's let's jump in here. So, where did you grow up, and how did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, I appreciate that question. Uh, so, I was born in Ohio, actually, and uh, my uh, my folks uh, lived in southern Ohio, a place called Wheelersburg, Scioto County, down there up there and uh, my dad was an engineer on the railroad uh, so when I grew up church wasn't a part of our life uh, a lot of times my dad was working on the weekend he was on a train or waiting for a train and so church just wasn't a part of our our vocabulary it wasn't a part of who we were and um, my dad had an accident uh, uh, on the train uh, someone blew the whistle as he was getting off it ruined his uh, middle ear inner ear and uh, he had to retire. And when he had to retire from the railroad, we decided to move to central Kentucky. And uh, so when I was 12, we moved down here. And uh, that's that's where my life was radically changed when I came to Kentucky. I became a Kentucky fan. Uh, I uh, got you know, wrapped up in the culture down here. I love Kentucky. And uh, <clears throat> when I was a junior in high school, the summer before that, we went to, uh, we moved to a place outside of Richmond, Kentucky. And uh, when we moved there, uh, I started going to Madison Southern High School. Um, again, I didn't know the Lord. And for the first time in my life, I was confronted by people that knew Jesus and genuine Christians. And so these, these people uh, befriended me. I couldn't find friends anywhere else in the school except with these Christian people. And uh, I thought it was kind of odd, and I thought they were rather odd. And so I just sort of watched them for a year. And uh, they just they just kind of lived their lives before me. I think a lot of them probably thought I was already a Christian. But it kind of got out, starting my senior year, into my junior year, that I wasn't a believer. And so they, they sort of made me a project, I think some of them did. And to God's glory. I'm thankful for that. And uh, they started to share the gospel with me. 
a guy that I graduated that graduated the year for me uh, was heavily involved in the BCM ministry at Campbellsville University. Uh, one Thursday evening, he calls uh, one Monday evening. He calls me up and says, Chad, I'm coming back to uh, Berea tomorrow night. Can you come and teach me how to play guitar? I said, sure, Sam, I'd love to. I, so I went back to his house and he was he didn't want to, he didn't want me to teach him how to play guitar. He wanted to tell me about Jesus and how I could be saved. And uh, it was a glorious night because uh, he he shared the gospel with me right down the Romans road. I said, I don't think God would accept me. And he just said a God word. He said, Chad, you, you can't out sin the grace of God. Yeah. And it was such a powerful moment in my life. And we just got down on our knees and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and savior. And wow. It just like the way of the world came off my shoulder. So thankful that I came to know Jesus and my life was just radically turned right side up that day uh, in so many ways. Chad, I hear you say you were a senior in high school at that point. I was. So uh, let me ask you this. So the, the way that you were witness to friends cared about you, reached out to you, um, someone invites you to come and actually help them with something. And then they find out they really, really want to share the gospel with you. Uh, how has that impacted the way you witness to it? The way you were w led to the Lord, how does that impact the way you witness to others? Yeah, I mean, I think it's given me uh, just the sort of uh, mentality that everybody needs to hear about Jesus, you know, and and uh, everybody uh, needs Christ. And there's just this, this sense in which, you know, someone may look like a Christian. They may be friends with Christians. So that doesn't mean they're a Christian. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so, you know, just trying to be. Uh, intentional about sharing the gospel with anybody that I have an opportunity is number one. Number two is just relationships. You know, the yeah. gospel runs through the lines of relationships. And so building relationships with people, being friends with people is uh, just key to sharing the gospel and seeing people come to faith. Man, I love the story. So I'm, I'm preaching revival services this week, had dinner with a deacon on Sunday night. He had the exact same story, just a different season in life. Uh, some folks reached out to him. He went to church. When he got there, the folks were friendly to him, but it was a friend that brought him along. And, and in fact, I think research shows that most folks come to faith in Jesus because of a because of a friendship or an already existing relationship. I do lots of door-to-door -door work. I think it's important, but that's never going to reach the world with the gospel. It's going to take Christians who care about other people and reach out. It's just incredible. So how did you end up uh, answering a call to ministry? Uh, senior, when you were saved, when were you called and how did that happen? Well, it was just, a, a like I said, my life was radically turned right side up. Uh, prior to my saving faith in Christ, I was a uh, a big English guy, loved uh, English, loved novels, but I, I, I read a lot of people that had a lot of questions, but they never had the answers. And when I came to Saving Faith in Christ and was born again, the Word of God became my answer book. And I would literally open the Bible and read it and answers. This God has answers. There are answers here. And I find so much passion and so much goodness in that that i would i would get home at night i would try to do my homework as quickly as i could so that i could get in the word and spend an hour or two in the word like in four weeks i went through the new testament um just 
just consuming it. I couldn't get enough of it. And then I started to read through the Old Testament and I'm going to school and I'm talking to these Christians that have been witnessing to me for so long. And I go to them and I'm starting to talk to them about what I'm learning. They're like, man, how do you know all this? I was like, I don't know. I'm just reading the Bible and and this is what I'm learning. And they're like, hey, you know more in six weeks than I've known in six years of being a Christian. And so I was just I was just overflowing with passion for Christ. And uh, I was really involved in our FCA there. And uh, our FCA decided that we were going to do outreach services. And so, uh, you know, we need someone to do the music or we need someone to do the uh, the you know whatever the little skits that we did and whatnot and and then they would say we need someone to preach and the first time they asked i'll do that i, I mean i was just like i'd love to preach um and so um and so i i went and uh i i i, I didn't have any clothes to preach i i had a sport coat on that belonged to my brother it was probably two sizes too big had a tie that belonged to my dad and I had a pair of old khakis that I had and a dress shirt that I had and I wore a pair of my dad's shoes and didn't have no dress shoes. I probably looked like a clown. <laughs> and uh, then I get I get there and I prepared a sermon. My pastor had helped me. And that day I just I just remember preaching from Philippians two, one through eleven. I knew I know that it was probably the worst sermon ever from Philippians 2, 1 through 11. But something happened in my heart that day when I was up there preaching. There was like this peace that came over me and this overwhelming amount of joy and just delight in what I was doing. I felt like that dude on Chariots of Fire, the movie, Eric Liddell. Yep. And, you know, they were trying to tell him about, you know, well, you need to faithfully give to God, but then you know, he says to his sister, yeah, but he made me fast, and when I run, I feel his pleasure, you know, it, it's sort of like, when I run, I feel like I'm doing what God created me to do, and that day, in that pulpit, I just sensed, this is what I was made to do, I was right. made to do this, and uh, so great, so, so blessed. So, so Chad, uh, man, I, I love everything that you just said. So we're working on this initiative that's going to be mentioned in, at this year's annual meeting. It'll be hopefully developed over the next year and become a just a full statewide initiative, calling out the called, helping folks recognizing uh, what God made you for, helping people get to the place where they would say, I was made for, for this. Your testimony is incredible. So, uh, but I love one thing, especially that you said that the first thing you did was preach. You didn't you didn't just jump up and raid a pastor at church. You started doing some preaching. So how did it go from preaching to a sense of, of, of God's called me to surrender my life to ministry leadership? Yeah, so so yeah, I, I guess I would say it like this. Um, in my personal Bible reading, you know, I had gone through the New Testament. Then I read through, I started going through Isaiah. I read through the book of Isaiah. And then one night um, I, I read, I started reading Jeremiah. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, Jeremiah 1 is just a tremendous passage because Jeremiah is saying, you know, who am I? And God's saying, before I formed you in the womb, I, I, 
consecrated you and I made you a prophet before the nations. And of course, Jeremiah responds and he says, well, you know, I'm too young to do this. I can't talk. And of course, that's exactly what I was saying to God in that moment. And God's like, well, you're going to go where I want you to go and you're going to say what I want you to say. You're going to do what I want you to do. And he submitted to that calling. And, and I remember getting up the next morning and my dad at this point was a young believer in Christ. He had just come to saving faith in Jesus. Um, and I remember going to him saying, Dad, I didn't even know what the word calling meant. I knew nothing about that. But I just remember going to him the next morning and said, Dad, I, I read last night in the Bible and I just I get this feeling that God wants me to do something for him. Wow. And uh, and my dad, who he, we've never had a preacher in our family. I mean, I'm basically a first generation Christian for that matter. Yeah. And. And my dad, so much wisdom and so much graciousness in his heart, he said, well, son, I just want you to be happy. If it makes mm -hmm. you happy to be a butcher, be a butcher. If it makes you happy to be a lawyer, be a lawyer. If it makes you happy to be a preacher, then be a preacher. Yeah. And that really gave me a lot of liberty to kind of explore that. And 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 then the, the key person, though, was my pastor, Randy McFerrin. I mean, okay. I just... I just loved him so much and he became um, my father in the ministry and, and, and to this day, he's still like a father to me. And uh, I just, I just hung around him all the time. I'm sure I bugged him to death. When we had visitation, I would go and I wanted to go with him because I wanted to learn how he was telling people about Jesus. So I could tell people about Jesus like that. Whenever he would preach, I would go and hear him preach. Even if he was preaching revival, some other church, I would go and listen to him because I wanted to preach like Randy McFerrin preached. <laughs> and uh, just my whole life, I was giving myself over to him. And anytime I could get an opportunity and, uh, you know, it, it, people started noticing this, you know, people started seeing my, you know, the Bible talks about a calling, I think from an inward perspective and an outward perspective. Mm-hmm internally god calls you through that bible reading through just this desire he had put in my heart to preach uh internally god was calling me to ministry and i didn't even know that but then i think there's another element to it there has to be an external factor to that as well i mean i know there's been people that i've met who feel they're called internally but there's no evidence of that externally mm -hmm. The church that I was going to, my home church, Bethel Baptist Church, my friends, even my family, they just saw this calling on my life and they recognized that and were joyful to get behind me and support me in that. So uh, and I love what you said, internal, external, you know, something's happening, but then others begin to affirm what, what they're seeing as, as well. So when you when you announced at some point that you believe the Lord had called you to Christian service, ministry leadership, vocational ministry, whatever the term, folks stepped out and affirmed that. They they saw it as well. Is that is that what you're saying? That's right. That's right. Our church uh, licensed me to ministry first. And uh, I know that might be an old thing that no one knows about anymore, but I was sort of set aside to be licensed. And uh, I got a lot of opportunities to preach. Uh, Randy had a lot of churches there in the Berea, Rockcastle County area there. He was from, you know, he grew up in Broadhead of all places. Uh, 
And uh, so he knew a lot of churches down in Rockcastle County. They knew him. And so when their pastor was out or when they were out, they were without a pastor, he they would call Randy up and say, hey, you got a lot of preacher boys up there. Send us one this Sunday. Yeah. And so he would send us and we would get to we got to where we were preaching about every week somewhere. Wow. And just gave us tremendous opportunities to preach the gospel and to preach the word. Yeah, we need to see your story multiplied all over the state of Kentucky. Um, the, God still calls people, still calls the same way, still calls through relationships. So thank you for, for sharing. So you are currently serving as the Kentucky Baptist Convention president. So how, how has it been for you serving as uh, KBC president, especially during a, a, a pandemic? <laughs> well, it you know, first of all, it's been a huge honor. Uh, you know, I feel indebted to Kentucky Baptist. You know, it was, uh, uh, you know, Kentucky Baptist that led me to faith in Jesus Christ through the BCM program that he was fired up about telling about people about Jesus through. Uh, it, it was a Kentucky Baptist church and a Kentucky Baptist pastor that discipled me. And, you know, I was educated at Clear Creek. So I just feel anytime I can serve Kentucky Baptist, that's my honor to do that because they have served me so well across the years. I'm a product of Kentucky Baptist. Um, but I would also say that this year, <laughs> the only word that I can use to describe this year is unprecedented. I mean, just it seems like everything that's happening in our culture, uh, be it the COVID crisis, be it uh, the racial tensions, be it the politics of our day, just everything is just unprecedented. And so, you know, it, it's presented a few challenges across the way, but you know what? I'm, I'm just blessed to serve. I, I've just been blessed to serve our state and it's been a lot of fun. I've, I've enjoyed the committees. I've enjoyed seeing you guys on your staff work and just reaffirmed to me that we have all-star state mission board staff. We have, all-star missionaries that are leading us and and uh, and our our churches are doing really well through this they really are and chad you've been a real cheerleader for for the the work of the mission board staff and i mean i certainly appreciate it. I, I see that every day but it means a lot when someone else sees it and, and recognizes it as well you also led the first ever virtual mission board meeting in may of may of this year <laughs> Yeah, a Zoom, just it, it, everyone that's watching this, just think about being in a Zoom call with a hundred and some people. And <laughs> and when, you know, you, everyone's got to vote, a, anyone can ask a question. It was bizarre, but it really worked pretty good. I mean, I, I wouldn't want to do it again, uh, but I'm thankful that we were able to do it that way that day and it, that it did go well. It worked incredibly well. Um, it, it, I, I can be a worrier, so my guess is if you're a worrier at all, you probably had all kinds of possible scenarios what might happen during this meeting. But it it went it went exceptionally well, and you did a good job leading it. Well, I, I made sure I had my parliamentarians there because yeah. I was like, they, man, they, they were available. Only ten people in the room, and two of them were parliamentarians. Chad, you're, you're a, a great champion for the cooperative program. You're leading your church at, at Ormsby Heights where you're serving. If a church asks uh, you to justify CP, 
as a way of funding missions? How would you how would you answer it? I mean, they say, hey, look, Chad, um, I don't know about all that. I, uh, you know, we know so and so. He's doing good work over in Vietnam. Uh, we've got a uh, we got a friend out and working with the Indian reservations. We want to help there. Um, how would you justify cooperative program as a most effective way of funding mission work? Well, I believe that the cooperative program is the greatest single missions funding device in the history of Christendom. That's just the bottom line. There is no second to it. And the bottom line is when we give to the cooperative program, what what is happening? Um, we're funding missions here in our state, hundreds of missions projects all across the Commonwealth of Kentucky. I've been in the mountains of eastern Kentucky and seen it. I've been up to northern Kentucky at the racetrack up there and I've seen it. I've been out toward western Kentucky. I've seen it. God is using the dollars of the cooperative program to reach people right here in this commonwealth. But then when you start to think about what happens on a national and international level, not only funding missions here in Kentucky, but we're funding 3,500 plus missionaries that are all across the nations right now. They're in places that are so uh, closed that we can't even know their names. All we know is their initials, but God has brought them there. And Southern Baptists have brought them there through the cooperative program, not to mention our ELC ministry that's engaging the culture, not to mention the hundreds of church plants that are happening in places where Southern Baptists don't plant churches. Mm-hmm. We're talking about Boston. We're talking about Seattle, Washington. We're, we're, we're talking about Las Vegas and Los Angeles, people, places where people don't plant churches. And Southern Baptists are there now because of the cooperative program. Then you tap on top of all of that, how we're funding six of the greatest seminaries in the world through the cooperative program. It's the greatest device that anyone has ever come up with, and God is using it. And I can't imagine why anyone would ever settle for anything less than the best and the greatest of all. And that's the CP. Well, amen. Amen, brother. I appreciate you saying how you feel. Chad, over over a year ago, um, you, you heard some news that had to be challenging news at the time. I, and you can tell us exactly how long ago it was. It may have even been closer to two years, but you were diagnosed with cancer. And so how did that diagnosis uh, come to you? What what was happening? Did, did you know health-wise something was going on? Tell us a little bit about, about the diagnosis that you received. Yeah, so uh, I, I think it was late 2017, late 2016 into 2017. Uh, I, you know, it just sort of happened suddenly. There was no warning or anything like that. I was having kind of what I called moments of disorientation. And uh, I would have about 30 seconds where the world would just kind of swirl a little bit and then it would be over and I would go back to my day. Some days that would happen three or four times. Some days it wouldn't happen at all. Um, But when it happened, I knew that it was happening. Mm -hmm. And so I was good friends with my my doctor there in Corbin, uh, Dr. Kelvin Perry. And uh, I went to him and I just kind of, we were having dinner one night and I said, man, I'm having this issue. What, what do you think that could be? You know, I, 
you know, we were thinking about everything, you know, me being a pastor, high blood pressure, that kind of thing. And so we went through a lot of different steps. But, you know, one of the things that would happen when I have those moments of disorientation is I would get a metallic taste in my mouth. Mm. And uh, my doctor just couldn't get past that. He said, you know, Chad, I, I just I can't figure out what would be causing that. I think you need to get a CT scan. And, of course, I went on a, a Wednesday uh, morning I had that CT scan and it revealed that I had a mass in the left frontal lobe of my brain it's about the size of a golf ball and uh, and yeah uh, it just we were just sort of shocked by the whole thing uh, uh, so, so Chad once you got that once you had that scan and that showed up what what were you told at that point like what this could be well, they, they knew that it was a tumor. There was no doubt in their minds that that's what it was. I was told at the time, the uh, immediate time that I had gotten it, that it was probably a slow-growing tumor, that it may have been there even even the course of my life. It just had slowly grown to that place uh, where it had started giving me those moments of disorientation, which were actually seizures. Mm-hmm. Wow. So... So what happened was, uh, uh, by God's grace, the the next day, I was able to see a leading neurologist here in the state of Kentucky. He came to Corbin every two weeks on a Thursday. And it just so happened the next morning on a Thursday, he was in Corbin already. Mm -hmm. So I was able to see him at about 8 a.m. And he looked at it. We had some, uh, you know, we had some MRIs done, those kinds of things. And basically, he came to a place where he said, Chad, uh, um, I can't help you, uh, but I know someone who I think might be able to. Uh, of course, he's a neurologist at UK. And so I said, well, where where are they? I'll go. You know, he said, they're at Duke University. And I said, Duke University? What are you kidding me? I'd go to Duke to get medical help? That's crazy. I don't like Christian Leitner. I don't like Chesky. But um but sure enough, that's where it was. And uh, you know, for as much as I don't like Duke athletics, I love Duke's healthcare. Um, because uh Dr. Alan Freeman was a surgeon and I had to go down there and ask him one question. Uh do you think you could take 80 to 90% of this tumor out of my brain without doing me harm? Mm-hmm. And uh, he looked me in the eye and he said, I think we can do that. Wow. So I think we can help you. So Chad, said, what was it like for you? Just interrupt just for a second between the diagnosis and the conversation with the doctor, because even then there's a ton of uncertainty. Just what was that like for you and your family? Well, I scared the, living daylights out of us we were scared obviously um um i i was fearful um honestly um uh, pastor johnny hunt always talks about ministry in terms of uh, a football game and he talks about you know you get about my age you're at halftime and uh, then you know you get into the second half your third and your fourth quarter and, uh, you know, I'd kind of been thinking at that point in my life that I was at halftime. Yeah. And the Lord kind of forced me to consider the reality that I may not be at halftime at all. I might be at the last minutes of the fourth quarter. Wow. And uh, so it was very sobering 
experience to contemplate your own mortality. Uh, but but that's that's where God brought me. And I'm so grateful that he did. Um, and so we began to look at the tumor as a friend. Um, and people kind of look at me funny when I say that. But I said, you know, I don't know what else you call someone that drives you closer to Jesus, closer to your wife and kids, and closer to God's word. I said, how can you call that anything but a friend? Now, he was a friend that wanted to kill me, so I had to part with him. But I'm grateful that God gave me that friend. And we started to look at it from that perspective. Yeah. This is not my doom. This is not my demise. This is my path to Christ's likeness. Wow. And when you start to look at these things from that prerogative, it changes your outlook. I'm not sure. saying I wasn't scared. Sure. I'm not saying that it wasn't difficult, but it did help me so much to think about it in terms of growing closer to Jesus. Well, Jennifer and Audrey and Caleb, or Aubrey and Caleb are in a picture right behind you. And um, that to get to that place of acceptance and moving forward it had to be just equally difficult for them as, as well, I would guess. Yeah, it, it was, but, uh, you know, uh, I got to give my wife just tons of credit there. Uh, she never let our kids get down about it. Uh, we They never had pity sessions about it, that kind of thing. They were just totally supportive. And uh, my kids were just amazing through it as well. Wow. And uh, they had a lot of support that was pushing them through. Chad, thank you for sharing. I have some more questions about about the, the cancer and the response to it, but let me just reintroduce here uh, Todd Gray with KBC, interviewing Pastor Chad Fugit, a current president of KBC or Kentucky Baptist Convention, pastor of Ormsby Heights in Louisville. Um, I'd like to invite folks to make plans to attend our annual meeting in Owensboro Pastors Conference on the 9th. Dan Summerlin has an incredible pastors conference lined up. Here's some great preaching and great worship time. The annual meeting on the on the 10th. We will be practicing all the social distancing guidelines. Masks are required while you're in the building moving around. Once a person's seated, they can take those off. Uh, we need folks to register ahead of time for the meeting. To learn more about that, you can go to kybaptist.org and look up the annual annual meeting. Uh, Chad, so on the on the cancer diagnosed with cancer back around 2017 uh, folks helped you people ministered to you during that time what were some so we're, we're talking to pastors what were some things that people did for you that were just really well received and really helpful yeah you know um i, I think that the most helpful thing was prayer um yeah. i don't believe that i would be sitting here talking to you right now if it weren't for the prayers of god's people a, a lot of people prayed for me i know it i felt it and um, i had a group of pastors from southeast kentucky there where i was serving they came to my office one day and uh you know i asked them i said we, i want to ask y'all to anoint me with oil and they put oil on my head and they laid hands on me and they prayed for me yeah i'm so grateful for that i'll never yeah. forget that day um our church family prayed for us and uh god answered their prayers specifically uh, we had one lady one of the godliest ladies i know her name's jamie blue and she got up and prayed during the prayer time that our church did and jamie prayed lord i pray that this great neurosurgeon 
uh, would be surprised by how well the surgery goes. It, it goes so well that he would be surprised. And when I go back down there for my follow-up after the surgery, Dr. Freeman looks at me and says, you know, Chad, I keep looking at these MRIs of yours after the surgery. And, and I have to tell you, I'm really surprised how well this surgery went. Not only did he take 80 or 90% of the tumor out, he took 100% of it out. And he was shocked by how well it went. And I was sitting there like, well, brother, you don't know who was praying exactly that for you, man. <laughs> and so, you know, Jesse, folks, didn't some folks also come and read the Bible to you when you were in recovery? Yeah, that, that was another blessing, too. You know, I, when I when I got home, about the only thing I could do for a couple of weeks was just sit in my chair mm -hmm. and uh you know, one of the biggest blessings were when when friends would come over um, and just sit down with me and, and I would just ask them, I would just say, hey, uh, my Bible's sitting right there. We, we, I'm, I'm trying to read through the book of John. And so what I would do is I would just ask the next guest to read a chapter or two and they would read it and I would just sit and receive the word and just I'd be weeping as I'm hearing God's word because it was so good. And uh, they would read it. And I think we read, I don't know, through 11 or 12 chapters of it, just yeah. friends coming over and reading the book. And I'm so grateful for that, too. So the other side, then, again, we're, we're talking to pastors. This is not in any way looking for criticism or aiming at any particular action. But sometimes we mean to do well for people who are really going through something, and we don't always do as well. Was there anything that was probably meant to be helpful, but really just wasn't helpful at all? Um, yeah, yeah, I think a lot of folks, uh, when when they hear about something like this, they're confronted with someone who has brain cancer. I think I think that everyone wants to do well, uh, but sometimes their actions are just not very helpful. Um, and it seems like to me that whenever someone would hear that I had brain cancer, I would automatically be put into a chamber of people who have had brain cancer that they knew. Yeah. And so they would say things like this to me. Well, you know, I knew someone that had brain cancer and they were about your age, but they didn't make it. <laughs> and I was just like, Man, that's uh, that's that's not really encouraging to my soul right now. Um, I had, I, you know, I had some people that would come up to me and they would say, you know, I understand what you're going through, and I was always like, eh, I'm not sure you know what I'm going through here right now. Yeah. Um, are you are you a forty something year old dad and with a husband, a pastor who has brain cancer? Exactly. And then the, the 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 folks that really tickled me more than anybody else were the people that knew better than the doctors. Oh yeah. Uh, so I would I would be sitting down and they said, well, "What's the doctor saying?" And I would say, "Well, this is the plan. This is what we're going to do." Uh, you know, and these doctors who have given their entire lives to uh, being trained to deal with brain tumors, they are uh, the best in the world. And this is what we're going to do. And they would look at me and they would say, you know, I think maybe you should maybe just take some herbal drugs instead of having this surgery or taking chemo or 
this kind of thing. You would not believe the things that people ask me to drink and eat instead of going through cancer treatments. It, it was that was just not helpful at all. all right. No, note to self: Don't jump first to the to um, to essential oils when someone tells you they have brain they have brain cancer. Appreciate appreciate that advice. Yeah, we've got this this device that you can put on your head, and it's a it's a electronical device. And if you just put that on for twelve hours a day, everything will be okay. I'm like, you know, my doctors didn't talk about that. Well, you know, they just don't know yet. And I'm like, I think if it was something to be known about, they would tell me well you're 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 being gracious chad i can't imagine what it's like <laughs> to walk through that so uh, cancer doesn't change people god changes people god sanctifies us uh, how's the lord use cancer in your life what are some changes that you feel like are pretty well lasting based on what you've been through well you know i i guess you know first and foremost uh um you know it's changed how i look at everything you know, just uh, especially my my relationship with God. Um, I think there there were times in my life prior to this where I took knowing God for granted, and now uh, when I get to spend time with the Father, I relish it. I love it. I love being His presence. I love to worship Him. Um, it it changed my perspective on my wife. Um, our, our relationship was revitalized through this process as well. It, it changed my perspective on my children. I love my kids. I've always loved my kids, but I love them beyond anything. And, you know, they didn't get to go down to the surgery with me. And so when we came back from Raleigh to the house and they were there in the house, they just, they came and gave me a hug together. And I just, I just grabbed them and wept. I didn't know what else to do except weep over them. I love them so much. And, and, uh, you know, I think, I think the best thing was just looking into the eyes of death, good and hard. You know, I came to a place where I planned out my funeral, uh, took care of a living will. I didn't want my wife to have to go into a, a funeral home and, uh, plan out what kind of this or that or the other. I wanted it to all be taken care of. I knew who was going to preach my funeral. I knew who was going to sing at my funeral and all that. And, uh, and then, and yet in the midst of all of that, that's where the Bible just sort of radically transformed my idea about living and dying. Mm -hmm. You know, when, when Paul says in Colossians, when he says you have died, your life is hidden with Christ and God. I died a long time ago. Yeah. I died when I was 17. So this life that I'm living now is not my life. It's his life. It belongs to him. Mm. And so, man, every day is a gift from God. Every sermon, you know, you, pre you preach like a dying man to dying men. Well, I do preach like a dying man to dying men. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I can do that. Um, just, uh, just everything about everything in my life changed radically that day. And so because of cancer, I'm, I'm sure you were trying to be careful during this COVID pandemic and, and uh, wash your hands and wear masks, and all those important things. And yet you ended up getting COVID. Yeah, if, if you can get it, I'll get it. <laughs> uh, you know, we were very careful and everything, but it just sort of came to us. 
Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I know it wasn't as a result of church or anything like that. It was just something, uh, you know, we did everything they told us to do and everything, and we were extra careful. But, you know, uh, this is a pandemic for a reason. People Absolutely. were getting it. And it's a real thing. Uh, thankfully for me and my kids, it, it wasn't uh, – we didn't have the, the respiratory issues like so many people have had. We're so grateful for that. Um to, to me, it was like a really, really bad case of the flu. I mean, it just overwhelmed your body. And for about two weeks, it was bad. It was not good. It was not good days. Um, but then, you know, it, it just it released itself from me. Um, I had some fatigue issues for a couple of weeks after that. But uh, I've been able to kind of get back after it. And I feel great. and Good. It's all behind me now. So thankful for that. <laughs> well, Chad, this is called Leadership Lessons. So let's talk a little bit about leadership. What are some lessons that you've learned about leadership that you had to, uh, are you the kind of person that learns from the mistakes of others or do you have to make them yourself? Yes. Okay. <laughs> so what, what's a lesson you had to learn the hard way? Well, you know, uh, boy, I could give you a hundred examples right now. Okay. I, I've been through the school of hard knocks. In fact, I have a degree from there. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I, I think if I could whittle it down to, to one that I think every pastor needs to hear, it, it would simply be this, that, that God's definition of success and man's definition of success are radically different things. Okay. Explain, and, explain that. Well, I, I guess early in my ministry, um, I had thought you know, if, if I'm not leading a growing church, if, if we're not baptizing so many people a year, if we're not seeing our attendance increase this much a year, uh, if we're not seeing this and this and this, then, you know, I'm not being successful for God. Um, but, you know, uh, you know, when you look at Scripture, that, that is not the that's not that's not how God judges success, I don't think. Um, I've been fortunate in my days to lead churches that were growing, uh, seeing people come to the Lord, uh, seeing people baptized, seeing churches grow, and so blessed to do that. But then also, I've been a part of, of churches that have seen decreases and have have, have watched them go through seasons of uh, disappointing times. and. So I could go to some ministry locations where I've served and people would say, man, he was so successful here. And then I'd go to other locations, man, he, he really was a failure. But, you know, honestly, I was the same preacher here that I was here. I was just as faithful in the growing church as I was in the church that was declining. And I think that's what God is looking at. And I would just say that to the pastors out there. Don't allow what's happening around you to define whether or not you're being successful. God is looking at our hearts, first of all. He's looking at the motive of our hearts. And if we're being faithful to our calling, faithful to our calling, and faithful to follow him in the midst of that calling, then we are being the men that God has called us to be. Uh, so, so, Chad, I, if, you to, if you were to think about two or three traits of a faithful ministry, you're talking about faithfulness. And God is the ultimate judge of our of our life and our, our work. Um, what are two or three traits of a faithful witness or a faithful ministry? 
Well, I just think your calling, and I know that sounds crazy. That sounds really a uh, primary kind of thing to say, but, uh, you know, to honestly wake up in the morning and say, I am called to pastor Ormsby Heights Baptist Church. I know God has called me here. That is a huge thing that, that, that this is not a job. Uh, this is a calling. And, and so recognizing you've been called by God and then being faithful in that calling in that day. So faithful to love and shepherd your people, faithful to make disciples, thank, faithful to preach the gospel, thankful and faithful to go to people as they're dying, faithful to be there when the babies are born and when they graduate from high school and when they're getting married. You know, just walking through life with your people is faithfulness. So shepherding, and, shepherding that flock that God put you in the in the midst of, and ultimately He's the He's the judge. Uh, you mentioned Randy. I know other influence, uh, other folks have been strong influences in your in your life. What is something that you've learned about leadership by watching other people? Man, I love what you said about Randy McFerrin. What a great brother. First Corinthians eleven verse one. So you were giving illustration of First Corinthians eleven verse one, where Paul says. Follow me as I follow Christ. You were following Brother Randy around and learning from him. Uh, what What's a, a great leadership principle or lesson that you've learned from watching other leaders? Well, I, there's just so there's just so many. I, God has just blessed me with a lot of mentors, a lot of people that have shown me life and ministry. Um, you, you know, uh, one of my favorite examples is uh, Dr. Laverne Butler. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember him or not. I, I know, I know Lavar, I know Laverne, I know David, I know David Jr. Mm-hmm. and a, a couple more of them. <laughs> well, Dr. Butler was a, a sort of a mentor to me, and uh, he he came down when I was pastoring in Casey County and uh, mentor preached revival for me there. He had a policy: go anywhere and preach. Didn't matter the size of the church or where it was at, he would come when he was asked and. And that was great. And he just kind of poured into me and he showed me what a life of conviction is all about being a convictional preacher, but he showed me love as well. And what love looks like. I'll, I'll never forget when I moved to Nelson County chaplain Baptist, Dr. Butler had been the pastor there where I was pastoring 60 years before I was the pastor there. And he was still loved by the church and still admired among many of the people in the church. And I can remember us going to an elderly brother's house and in the church there. And, and, you know, Dr. Butler was pretty elderly at those days as well. And, you know, he had led this man to Christ. He had baptized him into the life of the church. And now this man was about to die. And rather than just praying from the couch or anything, Dr. Butler went over to this brother, got down on one knee and took his hands and prayed over him. And it made such an impact on me. That is the love of God. That is a pastor being faithful to love people. And he just left an indelible mark. Two weeks before he died, I I called him and I said, you know, I knew he was sick. I knew he was going through some tough times physically. I said, Dr. Butler, how how can I pray for you? He said, Chad, just just pray that I'll remain faithful. Mm. Wow. So wow. you you mentioned convictional preach. You learned about convictional preaching as well. What do you mean by convictional preaching? Could you explain that a little bit? 
Yeah, I just I, I just think that uh, so many sermons and so many preaching and so many so much of preaching today is is not convictional. It, it is it, it's readers digest kinds of stuff. It's whatever will get people to listen for a few minutes, yeah. and it's not actually coming out of the word so much as it's just. Uh, giving them something to listen to for 15 or 20 minutes. We don't want to preach too long because if we preach too long. People may not, you know, come back. Mm-hmm. But what I found is convictional preaching is, okay, we're going to start at chapter one, verse one of this book of the Bible or this section of the Bible. And we're going to preach every verse because we believe all of it's inspired of God. All of it's inerrant. All of it's infallible. And we're just going to preach the truth of the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. And what I found is when you do that, people know that you're studying. Mm-hmm. People know that you're taking this. This is really true and it's really real and it really can't change their life. And what I find is more and more people want to come and be a part of that than they do of preaching. That's no, there's, there's no conviction behind it. There's, there's no passion for God's truth in his word. There's no feeling of the Holy Spirit. There's no anointing. And and so, yeah. So so uh, you mentioned passion. And and so where, where does passion come from? Passion shows up in the way a person preaches. But where does that passion come from? It can't be made up. It's not, it's not human ordained or, or invented. Uh, where does that passion come from to deliver a message with conviction and with a sense of energy and passion behind it? Wow, great question. I Listen, I have listened to preachers who uh, can barely speak. Uh, I think about uh, Reverend Miller. Uh, yeah, yep. You know, he's in a he's quadriplegic. Right. When, David, you, when he David comes, Miller. David Miller, yes. When he comes to your church to preach, you have to lean in to hear him. But he is preaching with so much passion and so much. I mean, it is amazing to listen to him. I think about Chuck Quarles and Dr. Quarles was so humble that he would barely raise his voice. But there was so much passion in what he was saying. Then I, then I think about a guy like, you know, Johnny Hunt or, you know, and he's overflowing with passion or a guy like me just gets out of control. Uh, how passion comes out is different in every preacher. God uses all kinds of different personalities, but the source of passion is being filled with the Holy Spirit of God. You, 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 you can't produce this kind of passion yourself. You have to be surrendered to Christ's Lordship. You have to be emptied of self and filled with the Holy Spirit. That and only that will produce the passion of God in your life personally and in your preaching. And 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 I'll just say this, man, if you're not walking with God on a daily basis, um, that's going to come through in your preaching. They're going to figure that out and uh, it won't take them very long. You know, uh, you can't keep drumming it up. But if you're walking with God and that passion's flowing in your soul a daily and you're uh, another thing is witnessing. If you're not witnessing, I think witnessing produces passion. Agreed. It gives you opportunities to talk to people about Christ. And as you're talking to people about Jesus, 
you can't help but be excited about that. And that can't help but and it shows up in your in your preaching. So Chad, you've been preaching since you were 17, 18 years old. What's an area where you had to grow and develop as a as a preacher? Well, I mean every area. I mean it's 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 simply horrible. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, I, I would say I, I would say for me uh, it it is this sense of rein it in. You know, I, sometimes I can just get so excited that I'm bam, 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 bam. And when you're up here like this all the time, yeah. it's just as bad as a monologue guy yeah. down here, down here, down here, down here. It, it has the same effect on people's minds. Sure. They're listening to this, but they, they stop listening after a while if you're doing that all the time. So I have I'm still growing in that area. Dr. York is still teaching me daily. Um, <laughs> But uh, but I think pace is a big thing for me, and and I think uh, good illustrations and finding things to slow me down and you know kind of lift us up and down as we go through the sermon is mm-hmm. probably a big one for me. I just yeah. what's a, what's a practice or something that you've done, whether it's a book or a class or a, or a, or a practice that has helped you improve and grow as a preacher. Well, um, well, I, I think uh, one thing is listening to great preaching. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, my friend, uh, Dr. Adam Dooley, uh, my friend, Dr. Herschel York, um, my heroes of the faith, Adrian Rogers, Jerry Vines, Johnny Hunt, James Merritt. You listen to these people preach and you you long to become a better preacher. And you become a better preacher because you're exposing yourself to that. Um, and then finding your voice in the midst of all of that is important. That, you know, I'm not Randy McFerrin. I'm not Adam Dooley. I'm Chad Fugit. I have my own voice, my own way of communicating. And finding yourself in the midst of all that is so important. Um, so listening to good preaching, I think good preaching books mm-hmm. helpful as well. Uh, just going back and reading books about preaching and there's so many good ones. So, yeah. Do you listen, do you listen to your own sermons? I try not to. Uh, <laughs> they're so awful that uh, no one would want to. There, there are times that I'll go back and watch because, um, yeah. you know, I, I want to check myself uh, just for the tone issue and sure. other issues that I deal with. Uh, I want to be better and as hard as it is to do, sometimes you need to go back and look and watch and see so you can become a better preacher. I've, you know, we had to do that in, in preaching classes. You have to listen to your own, your own sermons. And I think it is good occasionally to make sure that we're being as clear as we think we are. There was a fellow in a church that I pastored one time, Chad, and he came to me, uh, he'd been attending there for a while and he came on a, after church to talk and he said uh he said i think i i think i need to get saved and and uh and i said that's that's great he said so i said tell me tell me what that means and what do you think you need to do he said well i think i need to repent and and i said i said man you're right on target what what does it mean to repent he said i have no idea i've just heard you say it every sunday (laughs) 
So we have to be careful that we're that we're clear in our communication. Chad, so you're you're still in a new position. You're less than one year into where you are. Um, what's advi- what advice would you give to anyone else? What what, have, what did you try to do and not do starting out there? And what advice would you give to others who are entering into a new a new role, new position? Yeah, it's a great question. I I I think uh, what I would not advise is uh, going to a new church being there for two weeks and then telling everybody to go home and not come. Uh, yeah. And that's, that's basically what I had to do when I came here. Uh, we, we were, we were just doing so well, the church was packed out and we were seeing so many wonderful things happening. And, and then two weeks in, we had to make the call to stop having in-person services. So, so honestly, if I could tell people about how to get into a transition to a new church, I think that the, the, the first thing I would say is build relationships with people. I mean, honestly, build relationships with your staff, build relationships with your leaders, take time and then take extra time to spend with them and listen to them and learn about the church. I mean, uh, our church is blessed. It's got a book uh, written about its history and, mm. you know, just read about the church um, okay listen to people tell stories about the church become you want to become part of that family of faith so That's so excellent. so just reading and listening and learning everything you can learn about the church everything you can learn about the area everything you can know just try to absorb all of that so you know just building relationships and then you know being a person that's learning about the church becoming part of the church and I think pace yourself uh, I, I think a lot of guys come into a new church and they feel like, man, I got to get after it. And you do need to get after it. However, don't set yourself at a pace that you cannot sustain. Yeah. You, you, you need to work toward being there the rest of your life. I think when you go to a church, you should go there like, I'm going to die here. And, uh, and so if you have that mentality about you, you need to set a pace that's good and hard hardworking, steady working, but a pace that's not so outrageous that you can't sustain it. Um, Because whatever you do, that's what they begin to expect. And if you can't do that, then over the course of years, you're going to begin to disappoint people. So set a good pace. Um, That's great. That's just great counsel and great, great advice, especially the pandemic part. I think it's probably not good to start your ministry in a a pandemic if you can avoid it, but you had no say over that. Chad, Deuteronomy 111 is my last question for you. Deuteronomy 111 says, the Lord God make you a thousand times as many more as you are right now and bless you as, as he has promised. If there were two or three pastors in Kentucky that you'd love to see their life multiplied by a thousand, that we'd be better off if we had if we had um, a thousand more men like this in the, in the state, who would you who would you list? Who'd make that category for you in Kentucky? Oh wow, <laughs> that is a that is you don't, a tough, you, you don't tough, have to answer tough question because I love I love uh, so so many of these guys and we could use a thousand more Randy McFerrins, couldn't we? Oh, absolutely, but I don't I mean, know if the world could handle a thousand more. <laughs> but I, I tell you, I tell you, I'll tell you a few pastors that I I would put in that that category. One is Gary Chesser. Uh, Gary is a pastor at a church there in Bartstown. Uh, um, 
Mill Creek. Mill Creek Baptist Church. Gary has a handlebar mustache. He is country as the day is long. And yet he is a soul winning machine. They are baptizing people and it's not a gimmick. It's not a, it's not a show. It's just good people that are telling people about Jesus and they're seeing hundreds of people's lives changed there. And it's been, it's been a miracle to watch that church. The guy who was his pastor when he was, I think, a youth minister is now serving as a staff evangelist with him, a, a, an older retired fellow who's there in the in, in the church. Yeah, Gary's, Gary's a great example. Great guy. Uh, I think the church could use a million more Herschel Yorks. Oh, yeah. Uh, and, and his wife, too. Uh, I would put Tanya in that as well. They are they are just incredible people. Uh, they're wise and godly, and they really show forth Christ in their marriage, yep. in, in how they live and how they minister. Um, you know, I have one rule uh, in, in life and ministry. If Herschel says do it, do it. Hmm. Um, and, that's and that's how that's how much I believe in him. I love him so much. And and. Uh, and I think a third one that I would say is probably it's not a name that anyone would know, uh, but it would be James Vandy. Um, James uh, uh, came to Central Baptist when, when I had been there not very long at all. And he had just retired from East Barberville Baptist Church. OK, um, he was in gospel ministry for 50 years. Well, wow. he came to me and he said, Pastor, I've retired and I just need to hear the word. Mm. And uh, he had faithful. He has faithfully ministered for over 50 years. We ended up bringing him on our staff as a part time senior adult pastor. And he did really well ministering to those senior adults. But more than anyone else, I think he ministered to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he was a friend to me and he showed me what it looks like when you've been faithful for 50 years Wow! to walk through the pastorate, to love your people, to preach the word. He teach, he teaches me all the time, perseverance in ministry and what that means. And uh, that's what you got to have. You got to have perseverance. Chad, thank you for that. Thank you for highlighting those, those names where uh, the sufficiency is not in us. Second Corinthians three, five, it's God that makes us adequate to do what he calls us to do. Thanks for joining Facebook Live Leadership Lessons. Glad for your ministry at Ormsby Heights. It's been good to serve with you in my first year in this role with your your year as KBC president. And uh, I'd like to pray for you before we cut loose. Is that okay? Thank you. Thank you. All right. Dear Father, thank you so much for getting to be with Chad and thank you for his ministry at Ormsby Heights. Thank you, Lord, for the staff over there and the congregation. And and, and Lord, thank you for calling Chad to be part of them and to lead them. Lord, my prayer is that the best days of that church would be out in front of them and not behind them. And I pray those best days would happen under under Chad's leadership. Uh, Lord, thank you for our conversation. We pray, Lord, that things have been said that are helpful to uh, pastors in Kentucky and beyond. And thank you for Chad and what you're doing in his life. In fact, Father, I pray Deuteronomy 111 over him, that you'll multiply him and make him a thousand times as many more as he is right now, and that you'll bless him as you promised. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to Leadership Lessons with Dr. Todd Gray. Find past episodes on our website, 
at kybaptist.org slash leadership lessons.